Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to SEAC Stories, brought to you by the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at the University of Sydney. This podcast tells the stories of our members. I'm Natalie Pearson. Just a note for all our listeners that this podcast was recorded in February 2021 and that the COVID-19 situation in Vietnam has changed since then. The COVID-19 virus has brought the spotlight to respiratory health. Over the past year, we have become more aware than ever of cough and cold-like symptoms, fevers, feeling tired, shortness of breath, and any other indicators that our respiratory system, the parts of the body that we use to breathe, have been affected by COVID. But COVID is not the only health condition to affect the respiratory system. Tuberculosis, for example, is an infectious bacterial disease that shares a number of symptoms with COVID and can also result in death. And in some countries, such as Vietnam, these other health conditions have posed a threat to the population for far longer than COVID has been around. Today, we're talking to Professor Greg Fox about his work on infectious lung disease in Vietnam and how his research is contributing to better respiratory health outcomes throughout the country. Greg is a respiratory physician, epidemiologist and clinical trialist here at the University of Sydney. He's particularly interested in the epidemiology of infectious diseases in resource-limited settings and has worked in Vietnam for 12 years in partnership with the Woolcock Institute. He played an important role in our 2019 SEAC Field School to Vietnam, which looked at urbanisation, and has also been instrumental in setting up the University of Sydney's Vietnam Initiative. Greg, welcome. Thanks for having me. Vietnam has been widely recognised for the effectiveness with which it has managed COVID-19, and recent analysis released by the Lowy Institute, in fact, ranked Vietnam second in the world after New Zealand. Were you surprised by this? In some ways, Vietnam's success is a surprise because in contrast to most of the other countries listed in that list, it is a middle-income country. On the other hand, uh, knowing the motivation and the uh, commitment of the central government to controlling COVID-19, I think that the response in some ways is not surprising. What we saw in Vietnam was very early on that the lessons learned from the SARS-1 pandemic back in the early 2000s were taken to heart. And so they quickly closed their borders, they quickly established restrictions on travel, and then they isolated people who had signs of infection. And so based on that initial early response, they really completely removed the virus from transmission in the community, which allowed them to go on to have almost 12 months without any significant community transmission. And I think that the uh, public health and uh, the national government of Vietnam really should be congratulated for that achievement. It's really in contrast to so many other countries in the region. So at the time we're recording this, Vietnam had reported about 1,980 cases of COVID and I think around 35 COVID deaths. Can you put this in context for us in terms of the impact of tuberculosis in Vietnam over an average 12-month period? So tuberculosis is an endemic disease. That means it's been in the Vietnamese community for many decades and most likely many centuries. And so as a result, it's not a disease that we think about as being a common problem, but in fact, it's actually one of Vietnam's major infectious killers. Around 15,000 people die of tuberculosis each year, and estimates are that around 150,000 people get tuberculosis disease each year. And so numerically, tuberculosis currently is a uh, far more impactful infectious disease than COVID. But of course, because it's been around for a long time, people don't think of it as being something out of the ordinary. Uh, And for COVID, I think appropriately, there is a real push to try and control it and prevent spread. 
Uh, and I think the COVID uh, response indicates what can be achieved if we take a disease such as tuberculosis more seriously and really commit to public health measures that we know work. Mm, that's a really important point. Both of these um, diseases, both COVID and tuberculosis, affect the respiratory system and share a number of symptoms. What sort of challenges does this present for health workers in terms of diagnosis? There are, in fact, many different respiratory diseases that present with cough, sputum production, and some constitutional symptoms like weight loss or fever. And it can be challenging to go and distinguish between these. The main difference between COVID-19 and tuberculosis is the duration of symptoms. So COVID-19 disease will typically cause an acute illness that occurs over days to weeks. And although there can be an ongoing cough, most people get better after a month or two without specific treatment. Tuberculosis, on the other hand, is a disease which can persist for many months. And so often patients can have a cough that might have lasted several months, that's just not getting better and is not responding to standard antibiotic therapy. And so in Vietnam, these patients may delay coming to the health system because of their concerns around cost or because they don't end up seeing a doctor who thinks about TB. And so as a result, uh, in Vietnam, often they can be unwell for a long time and transmission can continue in the community before a person gets detected. We've seen with COVID-19 how important it is to go and identify people who are infectious early so that you can protect their family members and people around them. And for tuberculosis, the public health response is really the same. That is to try and prevent a person who has infection from being infectious. And uh, that can be done through antibiotics as well as through social distancing and use of masks and isolation. And in tuberculosis, it's really important that they complete their treatment because after um, a very brief period of treatment, if it's stopped too early, people can get sick again. And so uh, it's really important for doctors and the public health systems to be looking out for tuberculosis in people who present with cough uh, and not just to think it's necessarily COVID. You've mentioned that tuberculosis is treatable with antibiotics and with other measures such as social distancing and isolation. What sort of capacity do Vietnamese hospitals have for this isolation? So there's really two different ways that you can treat a patient with tuberculosis. One is in a hospital where you put them in a separate section um, and ideally have good ventilation to go and prevent the bacteria from spreading. And the second, which is the more common form in Vietnam, is to treat people at home and have them stay in a separate part of the house for the initial period of their treatment. And in many resource-limited settings, it's not really feasible to have people stay in hospital unless they're pretty sick. And so it's reasonable to have them treated at home. It usually takes about two weeks of effective antibiotics before a person will become non-infectious. And after that time, they can then resume their normal life and continue to mix with their family and friends. And does tuberculosis have a long-term impact on your respiratory system? Tuberculosis in general is a disease which can be completely cured and most people who we treat here in Australia have no ongoing symptoms at all. The problem occurs when people get detected late and so what, what can happen is they can have more severe lung damage and that lung damage, even after antibiotics, can predispose them to having ongoing breathlessness and sometimes ongoing infections. So that's another reason why detecting tuberculosis early is important for the individual patient to try and reduce those long-term complications. 
Vietnam's response to COVID hasn't been particularly tech intensive. Um, instead, its response has been characterised as rapid and well organised. And when I was um, doing a bit of preparatory research for this podcast, I came across a great COVID health video on YouTube that had had more than 10 million views, promoting good hygiene, social distancing and mandatory mask wearing with quite a catchy jingle. What flow-on effect is there for other communicable diseases such as tuberculosis? Are we seeing a decline in TB associated with greater hygiene practices or is it simply that people are not getting screened for tuberculosis anymore? The effect of COVID on tuberculosis is a really interesting question and we don't really yet have enough data to know which direction the trend is going to be. Um, Is it going to cause less tuberculosis because there's less transmission, because people are wearing masks? therefore there's less spread, or is it going to cause more TB because people are delaying coming to health facilities, delaying getting treatment, and therefore remaining infectious in the community for longer? We don't yet have that answer. We do know from some of our research in Vietnam that there was a drop-off in case numbers of tuberculosis during the period of the initial lockdowns in Vietnam, and that's likely to represent a reduction in case detection rather than in actual cases, but that seemed to have picked up again by the end of the year. We're doing um, further research looking at data in collaboration with our partners at the National Tuberculosis Program to try and understand this effect. The other thing which we'd like to understand is how it affects treatment outcomes. It may be that patients are less keen to go to health facilities to pick up their treatment and so therefore may have earlier cessation of treatment and poorer outcomes. And so we'll be testing that hypothesis as we look at the um, TB program in Vietnam over the next six months or so. Mm, Okay. And so you've been working in Vietnam for many years now, I think it's 12 years, and I'm delighted to hear that you're still taking language lessons despite being proficient in Vietnamese already. What was it about Vietnam that lent itself to researching lung and respiratory health in particular? Vietnam is a middle-income country which is developing rapidly and is facing many of the challenges that industrialising countries do, Um, some of the chronic diseases like heart disease and diabetes and so on. But at the same time, Vietnam is also facing many of the infectious diseases and preventable uh, respiratory diseases that it faced earlier in its development. And so Vietnam is a really interesting place to look at respiratory disease because there's a combination both of serious infections like tuberculosis and pneumonia, as well as the onset of these chronic longer term diseases like chronic obstructive pulmonary disease due to smoking and air pollution. And so uh, respiratory diseases are really one of the major challenges that the Vietnamese healthcare system faces now. And one of the things uh, we're discovering as uh, the smoking rates in Vietnam are very high is that lung cancer and smoking-related cancers are also very common in Vietnam. So unfortunately, as is described, Vietnam really faces the double burden of both infectious and non-infectious respiratory diseases. Yeah, and you've just mentioned air pollution, which actually brings me to my question about the SEAC field school that we ran on urbanisation in 2019, in which we took an interdisciplinary group of postgraduate students to Hanoi. What is the relationship between urbanisation and lung disease, and why is Hanoi such a great place to explore this relationship? In many countries where there are very high rates of air pollution, rates of respiratory disease also rise, and conditions like asthma and also chronic obstructive pulmonary disease become quite common. And so in a city like Hanoi, where there's a lot of sources of air pollution, including from uh, motor vehicles as well as from industry and from agriculture, the combination of those sources has risen steadily over the last two decades. And so now uh, if you look at um, the daily reports of air pollution, Hanoi consistently has high levels, particularly at certain times of year when there's not a lot of air movement around the city. 
And so that means that in order to address respiratory disease, it's going to be critical for Vietnam to confront the challenges of its air pollution problem. And in fact, many of the things which are proposed to reduce carbon emissions are also going to have a big benefit for people's health. One of the things which other countries have started to use is electric motorbikes, also moving away from coal-fired power plants to renewable sources of energy and using agricultural practices which result in less airborne pollution. And so I think all of those strategies will have flow-on effects for people's respiratory health as well. And it's important to, to recognise, um, as we saw in the field school, that the urban environment has a huge impact upon the physical and the mental health of people who live in a big city. And so it's not just about providing better health care, and it's not just about improving the public health, but it's also about looking at those upstream factors that contribute to poor health and addressing those as well. There's been examples in other countries where this has been done very well and uh, air pollution has dropped dramatically. And in Western countries in the 1980s, we also faced problems of very high levels of air pollution that were addressed by um, regulation of, of emissions and, and a change in the way that we um, used combustion uh, in our cities. And so I think those um, strategies will be very relevant to Vietnam going forward. Greg, I can credit you with introducing me to the word and the platform Zoom long before COVID forced all of us to use that platform. You were using it many years ago. But your research also involves mass randomised control trials in country as part of this push to increase case detection and reduce tuberculosis worldwide. How have the travel restrictions impacted your ability to work with your Vietnamese colleagues and conduct these trials? We're very fortunate through the Wilcock Institute in Vietnam to have an amazing team of committed Vietnamese researchers who have built up experience in implementing clinical trials. And over the last decade or so, we've been implementing trials in a range of different provinces. I think we've worked in about 13 provinces now in partnership with the local health services to implement a range of trials to detect tuberculosis, to prevent tuberculosis, and then to treat tuberculosis. Now, because we'd been doing a lot of our oversight of the trials remotely using some of the precursors to Zoom like Skype or uh, WhatsApp and, and other tools, when the pandemic hit, we really just took all of those lessons on board and continued where we left off. So in fact, our team in Vietnam has really been able to do a fantastic job in continuing to implement our clinical trials, even despite the border closures. We've been able to achieve that through having very frequent Zoom calls and emails, um, using other social media as well to keep in touch with what's going on, and also using the online data platforms for our trials to monitor our research. So for example, there are some platforms like um, Power BI, which is a product that allows you to synthesize the results of um, electronic data and generate reports as to how the study's going. And because we do most of our research using tablets and smartphones, we've been able to monitor those uh, studies in real time to go and look at recruitment and to identify problems. And so I think going forward, the lessons that we're learning from COVID-19 will allow us, I think, in the future to be much more efficient and to be able to oversee complex clinical trials remotely in a way that I think we were only starting to do before the pandemic began. Well, I think we might end it on that high note. And I've done two days of Vietnamese language training. So I'm going to wish you Chuk Mung Nam Moi, Happy Lunar New Year, the Year of the Ox, um, which it is at the time that we're recording this podcast. And thank you so much for joining us and sharing your research with SIAC Stories. You're very welcome. Chuk Mung Nam Moi. You've been listening to SIAC Stories, brought to you by the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at the University of Sydney. Make sure to keep up with all our CX Stories podcasts by following us on your favourite podcasting app. If you like the show, 
please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Every positive review helps new listeners find the show. And of course, let your friends know about us on social media.